0: You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual. The podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact.
1: Patrick, good morning. How are you? Very
2: well, thank you. Yeah, had a rain shower here yesterday. It's always nice to have a bit of rain.
1: Yeah, it's been um, it's been very east, hasn't it? Um, down here on the uh, on the beautiful peninsula. So um, we're going to get into the kind of conversation around kind of um, a sense of place and what what makes place in uh, in today's episode. But the peninsula is really it's actually governed by its weather coming from the other direction. So kind of you know mostly coming from the south, mostly coming from the west, and when it comes from the east, it's quite off-putting because it tends to be a little bit warmer the rain tends to be um yeah of a different variety i was having it's this conversation tropical. the other day <laughs> yeah not quite tropical we couldn't really define it <laughs> in this conversation it's for sure in tropics, right? yeah, hard to hard to land hard to land what that what that, that's actually about but it's kind of it, it doesn't feel kind of the natural state state of things down yeah. here that's for sure
2: it's true but we do have mangroves down here we do. Which always makes you feel a little but bit tropical. But we don't have mangoes.
1: We don't have No. So, you don't have a, no, so have man- a can- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But in between those two things is probably where we sit. We are wet enough to have mangrove forest and yeah. warm enough, but we're not warm and constantly wet to have mangoes. It's true. And I think you hit something with the
2: East. The East, I think for a lot of us down here is sort of, Uh, I don't know. I think I project onto it as that feeling of something is changing in our climate. Mm. I think I definitely feel that happening or that conversation is around us very much. And you're always looking for signs. And when that east blows hard and strong, Mm. you look at the trees and everything looks uh, like it hasn't been blown that way as often as it has the other. for sure. Uh, We definitely feel (laughs) that at Cape Shank. We've had a few east... Come charged through here, and yeah, the trees bend a different way, then they're not used to being stretched that way. No. So, yeah, whether it is a sign of things that are changing, but I always. It's, makes me feel like it's a bit tropics,
0: but yeah, that's Victorian still. tropics, so it doesn't really get <laughs> <Yeah>. very hot.
1: <laughs> Vico Troppo. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's just not us all going crazy down here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's just at the moment two and two,
2: <laughs> to be honest. Maybe. Maybe. We're still in lockdown for the worldwide out there. Yeah. Um, but, soon coming, still... but soon coming Yo, soon coming back. Yeah, soon coming back. What is it, the summer
1: that'll end all summers? Could be. Could be, it could be the 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 super summer. But I mean, I think if you look globally, obviously everything's kind of um you know a lot of kind of um spots, you know, kind of things are starting to get back into their into their rhythm in terms of kind of like events and and stuff like that. But it's it is that kind of sense. I think you know of um you know the what we're going to kind of dive into today around place is that you you have a construct of a place, and then it kind of you know it's changed somewhat one through this pandemic, but then also through kind of you know things like um, the eel winds blowing. From the east
2: it's true and going into where we're going today with places narrative i went away from our conversation last week about narrative and how to manage narrative mm-hmm. and but actually was thinking a lot about our conversation before going live or before pressing record and that was around how where we live on the peninsula it's experience of feeling that colonial story in australia of constant influx of people coming in and how the people who were here before that influx that wave receive the others and how they feel and where they fit into that place narrative of um constant movement between people and building because as the population's ballooning in the in the world Mm. um people feel that when they stay stationary in a place for a little bit and feel that influx but it made me think of history As place, And it was one of my favorite things to think about and how a historian gives agency to place in influencing heavily of playing one of the main protagonist roles in changing the way societies think, interact and transact. Um, Mm. And that goes across politics, across economics, across the way you believe in mythology, all sorts of things. And I was just going to throw it to you and ask, is there any part that you can think off the back of that that history of
1: place or place doesn't influence the way you think you know yeah yeah so no cuz I, I like there i don't think i don't think there is cuz i think what's what's interesting is about our narrative in terms of when you kind of when you think about a country which by its definition is a place it's a it's a claim over a piece of piece of land you know <clears throat> Many times that claim hasn't been justified in terms of in terms of where it sits, as we both know. But it's it's the idea that you can take agency over over a piece of land, but then the country's narrative really comes from that sense, sense of land, and the people's interaction with it, right? So where I'm from in Canada, kind of, you know, what shapes our cultural narrative in terms of kind of endurance and kind of togetherness and community is the weather that we actually experience during during winter. But it's not just that it shapes like our cultural narrative, it also sh- shapes our housing. It shapes the way that our laws actually actually work. I mean, I don't find many, you know, Australians who are comfortable hanging out in the basement for a day, right? <laughs> and one, there's not that many basements, but two, it's just a very strange concept, right? And I actually never really thought about it until I moved here because you're just so used to being oh it's cold outside, just you know hang out in the basement and kind of you know play hockey or kind of watch watch the games whatever you're going to do, but that kind of that idea kind of doesn't um, fit into into another into another context. But the environment plays such a role in in actually defining that. And then when you get more specific to to place, is that it's always it's always there. You know I think. Um, if you think about the, the Yarra River and kind of what's actually happened with the Yarra River in terms of kind of, you know, why it's even brown, you know, I was told the other day, which I never actually knew, was that the reason it's brown is because of the constant um, interaction between salt water and um, freshwater constantly stirs because the tide pulling through constantly stirs up the water. Mm. Whereas before, um, <clears throat> colonial times, there was a waterfall that sat there that actually separated um, the two. So it was fresh going into... Um, Saltwater, not the other way around. So just even that sense of the place of Melbourne is de- really Melbourne's defined in some ways by that kind of that muddy river that kind of, you know, then, you know, most people say that's unattractive or in terms of what it actually looks like aesthetically, which is, you can argue. Um, but then people, you know, then you think about how Melbourne as a place has kind of responded to that, which is almost this overinvestment in architecture and kind of, you know, culture because it's natural kind of point of difference probably disappeared yeah blew it up
2: yeah literally blew it up and Mm -hmm. and put melbourne on the front of it and that was a huge major significant meeting point for aboriginal cultures to come together and share place together because Mm -hmm. that was an amazing by all accounts an amazing special waterfall no one really Took necessarily ownership of that falls that was a shared sacred space mm-hmm. yeah and now we put fed square on top of it yeah happy days, happy days. and yeah. apple's gonna move in soon enough but mm. there was something in there that made me think about the story of place interacting in the australian context and i'm trying to get to joe's story he promised of talking about the tassie devil and we were going to talk about tasmania's place <laughs> but what i was thinking is doing a little bit of thinking about how Tasmania's name has changed over time, Mm. especially in the colonial sense, um, and how the colonial Europeans coming over here and trying to, it's the Australian story, trying to place their idea of place upon Australia and naming things very much harking back to where they came from in place and trying to make sense of the world from their place. I was cut down tons of trees because that's what happened in Europe. Um, and really try to shape place back to their idea of a very rigid Mm. mindset. But then you slowly see this easing and this change, this sort of conversation between land coming through, a cultured people from another land being introduced to this place and place actually taking back ownership Mm. in a weird way. So you see that represented through Tasmania's name. was the aboriginal name sorry for my mispronunciation of that and then it went van diemen's land from there from a dutch explorer who apparently saw the place going around and he was a colonial dutchman from i think the southeast indians company yep Yep. and then it went from van diemen's to tasmania and and now um since, nine, no, since 2016, Tassie has introduced a, a dual naming system, and that's really to um, honour the names of traditional Aboriginal Australians and their place names. And that's, I think, a sign of something that's swinging and changing in place, really taking agency and that, hmm. that interaction of Australia really starting to come to the fore.
0: You're listening to BAU, business as unusual the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations.
1: So name conveys a lot, right? Because it, it, it poses it poses a question and, and duality is really, really important, you know, and I think New Zealand shows a great example of that, as does um, places like Wales and Europe where you kind of see that kind of that dual kind of language approach and it, it actually makes you ask the question around kind of what was actually here, here previously. And I think even just doing that allows the narrative of a place to start to start to reform. And I do believe it is a trigger for things like kind of allowing the landscape to go back to kind of being uh, perhaps the way that, way that it was. I mean, you know, we both went to King Island together and what fascinated me about that was that I was expecting it to be, I don't know what I was really expecting, but um, like the forest, there was just, it was gone. You know, it was absolutely cleared and it'd become a giant I mean it's beautiful, but it'd become a giant dairy farm. Yeah. Right. That's uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's what that's what they did. And that clearly wasn't there. You know, in terms of that kind of grass form and all of that sort of stuff, when you kinda of go to the parts of the island that were not touched, you're like, that doesn't those two things don't don't match. So it's it's kind of what will come from it in terms of that narrative is that it's I'm interested about how that will then blend back together right because it's never going to go back to the way that it was and it can't really stay the way that it is Watch do you crack an egg
2: can't put it back. Can't, can't put it back. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that concept, pad I think is, you know, kind of what something was, will never be again. What it kind of is now, it can't stay as. Cause I mean, we know from, you know, everything around us, the world is telling us that. But then what it will be, I think is kind of how those two narratives can work together to build yeah. something new.
2: To create something new for sure. Mm. But it is so powerful to see that place come through and mm. you hear a lot. Um, And that story has existed in Australia for thousands and thousands of years. And that land is is so sacred in terms of the way it interacts with with culture and the way people interpret the world around them. So there's so much power in land. And really, I always, when I get a bit nervous about humans and the the climate change, it's just an interesting narrative, I think, that has to change as well because it really, as we went into last week, positions us outside of... Mm that, whereas I think we're very much part of, um, and maybe a smaller role. But yeah, the way place changes. Can you tell us a little bit about your Tasmanian on anyway.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know about that but no I mean I think you know what I've always been interesting about Tasmania in, in particular is kind of like the only thing you know in the world is kind of you know the Tasmanian devil, devil story right so you know kind of Looney Tunes you know you grow up you know <clears throat> next to nothing about Australia and you certainly don't understand Tasmania and so but you do have a concept of the Tasmanian devil in terms of kind of what that what that actually is and you even know what it looks like but but then you know, kind of when uh, you know, it's been a Tasmania. I've been fortunate to go many times. But the, the Tasmanian devil being absolutely under threat, you know, in terms of kind of this introduced disease that is literally almost, you know, they're coming back, but they've had to take the population out of Tasmania and actually start to bring it back in, right? And it's it's interesting because I think you know, like um. One place I have been, Mole Creek, which was the last sighting of the Tassie tiger, which again was kind of, you know, completely, um, you know, a beautiful, unique species that only only live there. I think it's, you're just struck by that that happened a hundred years ago and this is happening now and both of them are actually our fault, mm. right? And you kind of you see that and you see it just play play out again, but the response this time is is not just to throw our hands up or try to bag like the last apparent sighting um, was, in, was in Mole Creek, but it, was, it ultimately you know, you go there and you kind of see the photos and stuff and it feels like, a, you know, no offense to the people in Mole Creek um, it just feels like it was a trophy shot like someone couldn't wait to capture the last right which like left me really sad I was like this is just really sad that this is you know kind of what it actually came to whereas the kind of the Tasmanian devil story fills me with the opposite feeling which is actually one of uh, okay we're actually starting to recognize you know to your point before that we're in this environment and we actually have a response a responsibility to actually help not just um I think just be custodians mm. of it, but in a in a much broader sense than than kind of the way that we've actually looked at it. Like, oh dear, isn't it um horrible what's happened to the Tasmanian devil? You actually start to see people take real agency, whether that's through you know paying taxes to actually have the program funded, et cetera, Because it's become part of their own identity. And I think the more that the natural world becomes part of how we experience things, it's then, you know, it, it poses it poses questions, right? I mean it's think you know, the generation coming up under underneath us is kind of, you know, has a very different relationship, for example, to, to trash. You know, like we're both trash collectors when we're walking when we're walking down the beach and we kind of, you know, pick up what we see. But it frustrates me that it's that it's there particularly in things like parking lots and stuff and kind of like beautiful spots of nature it's like you've driven all the way out to this beautiful pristine place and then your immediate response is to leave your beer can there that's a bit shit right in terms of thinking through but you know, children look at that and they're appalled in terms of actually kind of that that thing is like you know it's like they're like rubbish. Can't believe you know. And it's different. It's not it's not a thing between them, around kind of different societal behaviors. So I think you know I I kind of look at the Tasmanian devil story. as just part of this renaissance in terms of understanding what we're actually doing to our natural landscape and how do we actually help support a kind of you know a, a you know a very unique biosphere that's actually here in tasmania is probably the purest representation of that that we have left
2: yeah it's true it's well said mm. um i've heard that story before of the mm. tassie tiger from you but it was mm. nice to hear it in the global context mm. and then in the environmental context and um the narratives that we've been talking about here it's a, it's a funny sad story, but it's true the way that different generations view that. We touched on it last week, a mm-hmm. little bit about how narrative to place stepped into that conversation and about trash, and hopefully it heads in the right way, but mm-hmm. once again, we hand land on that narrative between agency of people and agency of government. We always hit this point in a lot of our conversations, is yeah. where do they step in and where do we start actually pl- placing taxes or placing policy on the way that mm. things are produced and I think that will come in time especially as you say if we continue to be super connected to our natural environment around us I think mm. what happens there is the value change mm. the value we didn't value what the natural world around us was no I and mean, we didn't value it as part of us it's very much a commodity very much a very much something you could buy sell steal, um and that was the mindset that that's plagued us for centuries really like when you look at it that is literally what it is and that mindset (laughs) dominated the world and whether it'll continue to dominate the world we'll see Uh, i think a big part of that is where our actual energy comes from and how it's generated because the thing that you see change now is you got energy from digging shit up mm. yeah. or stealing gold yeah. from yeah. another country the yeah. south american story yeah. um the australian story For sure. or you start to generate energy from things that are recurring it's cyclic and you're actually starting to tune into what's going on around you and mm. to preserve that and to maintain that is living in harmony because you need the energy Yep. energy and you yeah. need to continue to, to exist in harmony with the place around you otherwise you're done for
1: yeah for sure and like I think that's you know kind of in like where we'll where we'll go in the next episode is kind of like markets are starting to be shaped by that narrative as well so you know I think a lot of a lot of this is kind of you know people's some people will look at it as kind of like it's it's almost kind of a, a kumbaya kind of story of that we can live in harmony with nature but the reality of it is that it's actually where economic growth is coming from but you know to your point pat which is spot on is that that growth is now about actual balance with with the environment and ultimately it's about taking custodianship of it even in a in a commercial sense so for example you know if you're a business and you you know like just because of the pandemic, it's a relevant example. Everything's been delivered in cardboard boxes um, to people. The future of that is actually that they actually have responsibility for how they shipped it to you and how I'm that actually back. comes comes back. But for the business, if they can wrap their head around it, it's actually value creating. And that's where that interaction between you know the desire of people, the kind of the will of business and kind of the, I guess, the legislation of government can work really, really well. You're never going to get it perfect. But I think kind of these huge steps it you know, can, and are starting to be taken to, towards it is that it's also it's about an economic future, and that's where you know I kind of think that narratives work. You know, in terms of kind of from a societal perspective, is that the market plays a role in that because it creates jobs, it creates new sense of identity, it creates new senses of kind of what we actually are as a as a society. So rather than perhaps. You know, like things like mining will still exist, but it'd be for a different type of resource. And that resource is about kind of building a more kind of renewable power, power source. But then all those job titles and kind of all those semiotics are... Still to come. So, the generation coming through, in terms of experiencing that narrative, it's not kind of, you know, it's not the kind of, um, you know, I guess the kind of mining that we know today. It might look totally different and it might actually feel, you know, kind of something that um, becomes, you know, it's still going to be part of our society. But as we said before, the shift in the narrative will be, in terms of what it looks like, will be slightly different. And that's where I think markets do play a role in terms of helping bring a sense of place and kind of individual narrative together.
2: Either. Well, it's true. You hit the nail on the head there in terms of that interplay between market and place, and mm-hmm. like I think it's something that humans carry innately is markets, because sure. um, it's the way we interact with one another and trade, and that's mm-hmm. the way that we've mixed is a lot through market and and innovation. Let's mm-hmm. be blunt, yeah. innovation has pushed us far and beyond. It's pushed us to the moon. It's pushed us to all corners, and yeah. that's sort of been for sure. the tack that's that's continued to push the boundaries of. The I don't know the places that we know as normal. Yeah, and um, even
1: our places are shaped by, by markets. Exactly. I mean, I think this is the reality that we're all going to face is that a lot of where we have put our <laughs> cities and our kind of major places that we actually live were generally at the easiest place to transport things from one place to another. So they all sit mm. at the conflux of kind of freshwater rivers and kind of oceans. And because we've changed the dynamic in the world, um, whether you think that's us or not, is a totally different conversation, but the dynamic is changing in terms of that the seawater is actually rising and because so, therefore, the these places are going to be reshaped by the almost by the very kind of choice that was made originally to put them in in where they are. And now, kind of, you know, you think in some cities that could be thousands of years later, in some cities it could be hundreds of years later. They're all going to have to face this reckoning between kind of the fact that the environment that they took for granted when they were built is now coming back, and they're going to have to manage that.
2: Mm. Mm. And that managing is going to be. It requires a lot of change, but it requires a lot of opportunity. It's sort of where we are at the pandemic now. Hmm. The American ports are running 24-7 an hour just to try and keep up with the amount of stuff being shipped left, right, and center. Um, We're a consumerist society, at least where we live. Lockdown Hmm. lifted in New South Wales, one of our neighboring suburbs, and people lined up at midnight to get into Kmart only to have (laughs) the the vaccine checker crash. You know, it's like, why don't we keep us locked up? But we can't, so yeah, that's here the we, are. Where we live in yeah, for sure. But for yeah, sure. it's funny how markets shape us, and mm. that that interplay, as you say so well, between mm. narrative, uh, the narrative between place and markets, and how they shape the world around us and the way we interact. But yeah, there's big opportunity to to really harmonise those two. I think for that's sure. where the future lies. Cool. Well, we'll
1: do that next week. What Let's do you reckon? Do Sounds like a plan. All right. Cheers, Pat. Future.
0: Thank you for listening to BAU Business As Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.